Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We continue our look in the book of Ephesians this morning as we look at a series called Church with a Question Mark. And the reason there's got a question mark there is because Paul goes to great lengths to tell the church at Ephesus what they need to do as a church. He talked about in the first chapter about how they were formed and their purpose, but now we get to see the what our commitment is to the church, and I'm looking forward to that. Well, the truth is we know that God, by his grace, gives us what we can never gain for ourselves, and that is salvation. If you are a Christian and you are saved today, you understand this fact that there was nothing that you could do to achieve that. And so let's just jump right into our scripture. The first thing that we need to do as a church, we must wake up from our death sentence of sin and come alive in Jesus. I I find myself, and maybe you've been there before, but sometimes we spend too much time thinking about how we're beaten down rather than focusing on what he has done for us. What he has given us and the plans that he has for us. And what a great reminder that Paul gives by writing to the church at Ephesus. Again, remember, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to people like you and me. In verses 1 through 3, we see that you have to know you are dead before you can come alive. You have to know you are dead before you come alive. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Verse 1 says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger just like everyone else. So what Paul does here is Paul gets straight to the point. We have the problem as, especially if you've been a Christian for some time, you, you kind of tend to think that you are, maybe have evolved to being better than somebody else so that you, you are at a place where you shouldn't have problems, that, that everything is okay. But the truth of the matter is, is that we all started in the basement. We all started, if we were a corporation, we all started in the mailroom, which was, that we are dead in our sins. We are lost and we are in need of a Savior. So what we see here is that Paul is putting a mirror in front of the church members of Ephesus. And he's putting a, a mirror in front of yourself and in front of me as well. And there's a term called reconciliation that is going to be the theme of this sermon this morning. Anyone who has not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, quite honestly, is not right is not right with God. Before Jesus, a person is, the Bible says, an enemy of God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be anybody's enemy. But if there's anybody's, anybody's list that I don't want to be an enemy of, it's God. And the truth of the matter is, is that before we accept him as our Savior, before we accept that gift, that we are dead in our sins. And it's much easier to blame others for our fallen state. At the end of the day, though, it's your choice, and it's my choice. I talk with people all the time. I was talking with a gentleman the other day, and he said, I asked him if he went to church anywhere. He said, yeah, I went to church 20 years ago to a, another church he named. He said he hadn't been back. And I'm like, well, you know, 
That's true. You miss one day. It's easier to miss the next one. But look, at the end of the day, when that man that I'm praying for stands before the maker, he's not going to say, now, which church or pastor was that that made you mad? I'll go get him. You come on in. It's not going to happen that way. It's not going to happen when you say, well, well, God, you know, I had all these hangups and I had all these issues and, and I was going to get right with you, but I just, you know, that person down the street or that, that thing that's going on in culture or, you know, what everybody, the laws that they have passed and everything that's been going on and just excuse after excuse after excuse. And he's just going to say, no, no, it was your choice. And I, I've been learning, at least in my own life, I guess I'm getting either wiser or more fickle. I, there's just a theme running through my life lately. This has just been, if you don't like your life, change it. If you don't like your life, change it. We need to quit playing, and I'm talking to myself, we need to quit playing the victim card, and we need to start plugging into what God has given us. If you don't like the way your garage is, go clean it. If you don't like the way your kitchen is, pick it up. If you don't like the way your job is, work harder or change jobs. The truth of the matter is, is that if you are a Christian and you are saved, then you have made the choice to accept Jesus Christ. And that one choice is not just a choice that you make as a child in VBS or a youth at a youth camp or even somebody coming down an aisle. Yes, that is a one-time decision where your sins are forgiven, but yet we have to act upon that decision. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And here's the truth. Every believer in here, every believer was saved from sin. The trap of every Christian is to take for granted what they have been saved from. Look, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, as a good church-going folks, many of you here have been here very, very many weeks, and if the doors are open, some of you are here, and, and I love that. And I would, I would never venture to guess the spiritual condition of your heart because it's not my job. It is God's job. And I will go ahead and tell you, I am biased, but I think we have one of the sweetest congregations I've ever been a part of. And, and I'm not trying to, to shine you or anything like that. But I say that to say that sometimes we can focus on all the things we're doing right that we don't focus on the fact of what God has saved us from. We for lose sight of what God has brought us from. And we lose sight of what awaits for us because the weight of the world and all of our concerns are weighing us down and we are so consumed about how to make the next step when we realize that God has already orchestrated the next step and that we don't have to be a slave to this sin and this pressure that we can live above that because every believer has been saved from sin. So I hope it gives you confidence to know that you were once a sinner bound for hell, but yet God saved you by His grace. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I'm just going to tell you plainly, you were headed to hell. If you were to die right now, you have rejected God, you have rejected Jesus, and you will spend eternity separated. And it is not a party. It is not something you see on TV. It is torment, eternal torment. Your bodies will be made just like we will be resurrected as Christians to have bodies that will enjoy heaven for eternity. Those that are in hell will have bodies that are built to endure torture for eternity. 
You say, well, how can a God do that? Because you were dead in your sins, he offered you a choice, and you choose to say no. And the worst thing is those Christians that choose to say yes, but never live up to it. Let me just ask you this. Do you remember what it was like to be separated from God? That, that's, a, that's a really good question for me. Um, I remember because when I was a teenager, God uh, used many factors to get my attention. But I know I've talked with many of you and some of you have been a Christian as long as you can remember. So when I ask you, do you remember what it was like to be separated from God? Some of you would actually say, no, I always remember being a Christian. But even as your times as walking with the Lord, have there been times where you have given into the sin more than the spirit? More into what you wanted to do rather than God wanted from you. You see, we have to humble ourselves and realize that we are no better than anybody else. We are no better than a person walking down our street. We are no better than a person in the ivory tower. We are no better than a politician. We are no better than a lawyer. We're no better than a trash collector. We are no better than anybody else because we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. So as we put on our clothes and we come to church, it doesn't mean that we are better than anybody else, but it means that we have found where to find our refuge. We have found where to find our strength. And we are celebrating Jesus for what he has done in our lives. The Bible gives a description of, of the living dead. Those that are alive in their bodies, but they are dead to Christ. In other words, they, you, some of you would ask, why do people just not come to know Jesus Christ? Why do they not, even if you, you, you pray and you express Jesus Christ to them and you share the gospel with them and they still say no. Why? Because it's not something you can do in your own strength. God calls us to witness, but also God is drawing their hearts. For those that are, are not Christians, they are blind to their need for Christ. They are blind. They are slaves to sin. They are lovers of darkness. They are sick. They are lost. They are aliens and strangers in the foreign lands. They follow their passions and their sinful nature, and they are under the power of the darkness. And all of these things I just said, there are scriptures to back them up. Folks, I don't know if you understand this. You probably do. But there are forces that are at work against you right now. Even now, some of you are thinking about, I wonder what i got to do in my VBS room, or I wonder if my pot roast is going to burn, or how, how long is he going to take? That's okay. But the truth of the matter is, is that there is always something, some spirit at work. We see that in verse 2, where it says, Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Folks, Satan is personally at the work in the life of every unbeliever, and he tries to work in the believer's life as well. But here's the thing. If you are that person that says, well, you know, Satan's around me all the time, and I can't go anywhere without Satan being there, and he's always tempting me. Folks, i got news for you. There's a, a biblical word called omnipresent, which means that God is always present all the time. Satan is not omnipresent. But he has a lot of help. We read in scripture that when Satan was cast out of heaven, two-thirds of the angels went with him. So what is a fallen angel? A demon. So my friends, if you're like some of those that say, well, I've got a guardian angel, which is not spiritual. 
which is not biblical, I mean. But if you think, if you believe, have no problem believing in angels, then you've got to believe in demons. So Satan is not everywhere all the time, but he has helpers and also your sinful desire. Have you ever seen, have you ever had to teach a child how to misbehave? Have you ever had to learn how to desire something you don't want? No, it's just, it comes naturally because that is our nature. But we see in Ephesians chapter 6 that there are Satan and his followers that are out to work against us. We also see in John 12, 31 that we live in a fallen world. Folks, this world is broken. And for now, Satan is the prince of this world. He roams around and he works. We see it on our news feeds. We see it in our community. We may even see it in our families, in our own lives. That where this world is just giving us a playground to give in to our sinful nature. Let me just ask you this. Can anyone really look around and not agree that our world needs God? I mean, really. Does this look like heaven? I don't think so. So we've got Satan and his demons. We have the fallen world and we have our fallen nature. James 2.14 says that temptation comes from our own desires, which entices us and drags us away. We all are tempted. Even Jesus was tempted, but Jesus never gave in. Men, the temptation is not that first look of looking at that other woman other than your wife. Women, the first, the temptation is not wrong when you see something else or you have a thought of something else. That initial moment, that's called temptation. Not letting it go is sin. That's why the Bible says that we must set our minds on the things of Christ. And there is only, the only people that decide what comes in your eyes, in your heart, and in your minds, is you. And so, our fallen nature, you have to be careful. That's why we always have to be giving ourselves to God, because if we are not, and we are left to ourselves, we will drive our life into a ditch every single time. And i got news for you. Satan is a liar. John 8, 44, let me show it to you. On the screen, it says, For you are children of the father of the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is the father of lies. If you, a great example of that would be the garden. Where Adam and Eve say, you know, God said we shouldn't eat from the tree of knowledge. And the serpent says, no, he didn't merely mean that. And then they ate of it. And then all of a sudden, the voice went from, no, are you sure, to accusing them of being sinners. That's the way the devil works. The devil will lie to you and make you think that something sounds spiritual and right when it's not. And when you do it, he will say, "Uh uh-huh, I told you, you're a sinner. You're not worth anything. Jesus couldn't love you. God couldn't love you. You might as well be done with yourself. Because i got news for you. If you are giving your life to the devil, when he is done with you, he will discard you. He does not care for you. He hates you. I don't see why people try to be so friendly with him. He is the father of lies. So, the question is, 
This is pretty tough for the first part of the sermon. I mean, this is pretty, pretty blunt. But I do believe that in churches just like ours, there are many Christians this morning that are not going to own their sin. They're going to blame somebody else for it. Why is Paul writing this to the church of Ephesus? It is very easy to think that you, if you are a church attender, a church server, a church leader, or that you are somehow immune to sin, or at the minimum, you forget the depth of what God has either rescued you from or kept you from. Again, those of you that have been a Christian as long as you can remember, maybe it's not what God rescued you from, but what he has kept you from. Have you ever thought of that? Be careful. The person who is ruled by sin and selfish motives could be a good person. You know, when, when we talk about people that are evil, it's not just the, the deviants and the people that are on, you know, in jail and people that are on the streets. It's people just like you and me that are sitting in churches, that are sitting in other places of false worship, that may even be in the restaurants, may even be in our families. You don't have to be a bad person to give in to sin. There are plenty of good people that are ruled by their sin and their selfishness. They live from payment to payment. They seek to fill their garages and they seek to fill their storage units and they seek to fill their driveways with all of these beautiful and wonderful things that at the end of the day will either rot, break, rust, or fade away. And all they want to do is please themselves. And they are good, good people. But my friends, if all we do is cater to our sin and selfishness, that means you will have no desire to do the will of God or anything that remotely pleases Him. I know, verse 3, Paul lays down the harsh truth that we are subject to God's anger. And we are dead in our sins, and God brings us life. But here are my two favorite words of our entire passage this morning in verse 4. I'm not sure how your translation says it, but the first two words of verse 4 in the New Living Translation says, But God. But God. Now you're like, what do you mean, preacher? As bad and as horrible as that was, I hope you understand what Paul was doing. He was putting a mirror in front of them saying, look, you're not all that in a bag of chips. They don't even say that anymore, I don't think. You, you are you are not, you don't have it all together. But that's okay. That's why God gave his son, Jesus Christ. Because it says here, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life and he raised Christ from the dead. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and sealed us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Some of you wonder where the once saved, always saved comes in. If you are a believer in Christ, your fate is sealed for God. So God, verse 7, so God can point to all of us in future example ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace, kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. Folks, it says, but God, we here have the answer to why God would want to reconcile you and I. Why would God even care to reconcile those that are lost, even those that 
that are hostile towards him because he loves you. Hear me today. I mean, if, if, if you're dozing off or, or, or thinking about something else or you're tracking right with me, I just want you to understand this one thing. If you don't hear anything else I said this morning, check this out. This is mind-blowing. No matter where you are, no matter what kind of thought gymnastics are going on in your head, no matter where your heart is, no matter where your spirit is, no matter what you are involved in, God loves you. Remember that. You are worth Jesus dying for. He loves you. If you have ever dealt with the pain of a wayward child, a friend, or a family member that causes the relationship to be estranged, you know the pain of that separation. There's physical, mental, and emotional pain. But God loves you and wants to bring you back to himself. A great example of that is the prodigal son parable. But I want you to understand something. There is a, there is a doctrine, a fake doctrine going around. Everybody wants to say God is love. So we need to love everybody no matter what they do and no matter and and just love, 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 love. One big love fest. God saves us because of his love. This is a deep, deep thing, and, and hang with me for a second. But God did not save you because he loved you. His love did not save you. What saved you was his grace. What saved you was his grace. However, God loves Sinners and non-sinners, love is just one of his, what we call, intrinsic values. In other words, inseparable attributes. When you think God, God is love, right? But what saves you is grace. Because just as God is love, God is holy. God cannot stand for sin to be in his presence. That's why he is a God of love. And nobody likes to talk about this, but God is a God of judgment as well. Some of you that are raising children, have raised children, or taught children, or been around children, you know that if you give them everything they want without ever punishing them, ever judging them, and and correcting them, you know that you're going to end up with a very spoiled individual, and you're heading for heartache. So as a parent that loves their child, you correct them, even when they cry. Even when they say, it's not fair. Even when they're teenagers and they look at you and say, I hate you. You know you do it because you love. And God loves you and he saves you by his grace. It is God's mercy and grace that we are saved. So if you look at the cross, you can see the intersection of God's hatred towards sin, yet love for those who sin. That is what the cross shows. Somebody had to pay for your sin. Somebody, There had to be blood to be spilled for your sin so that you could be forgiven and reconciled and made right with God. And that happened at the cross. And then with that, we also see that God gives us life and a place in his family. If you saw in verse 6, it says, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and check this out, and seated us with him in the heavenly realm because we are united with Christ. Not only did God save you, He said, Look, come take a chair beside me. Come take a chair beside me. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I remember when I was in kindergarten. I don't remember a lot of things. I remember nap time. That was awesome. I remember the snacks. I remember VBS, butter cookies and Kool-Aid. Why is that the only thing I remember? And the flannel graphs. You remember the flannel graphs? The, like, felt characters that they would stick on the board and they'd tell you a story? Man, that was so cool back then. I digress just to say this. I digress to say I always enjoyed helping the teacher. I was probably, yeah, a teacher's pet. But when the teacher would ask me to to do something for the class, or better yet, when the teacher would say, James, come sit beside me, it's probably because I was talking, but I didn't see it that way. But the teacher would say, come sit beside me, and I'd just beam with pride, because look who got me to sit beside the teacher. Can you imagine the worst of the worst person that is saved by God's grace? God says, hey, you in the back, in the gutter. In the highways and the byways, those of you that are feel like you have no self-worth, come sit beside me at my table. That is what this verse is saying. And you, my friend, are that person that God says, if you are a believer, come sit with me. So that that way you are an heir of everything that he has. You are adopted into his family. All the resurrection power, all the love, all the blessings, everything that God has is yours. Here's his last will and testament where he says that. That you as a child of God have everything that is entitled to you for eternity. Then we see in verses 8 through 10, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. My friends, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us could boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things that he planned a long time ago. Folks, God's purpose in salvation is for our benefit and his glory. Some of you may look at this and say, this seems like God's being pretty selfish. To look at it this way. He created us, right? While we were in our mother's wombs, he formed the most intricate parts of our bodies. We are his creation. You are his creation. And so if a man and a woman create a child and that child is taken away from them, would they not do whatever is necessary to bring that child back? No one would say, well, they're a little bit self-absorbed, aren't they? Trying to get their child back. What makes them think their child is so special? No one would say that. They would see them as parents wanting to get back the child they have lost. You are a child of God. You were lost because of sin. God loves you and He wants to bring you back to Himself. Therefore, He brought Jesus Christ into the world to die for your sins where you are not perfect. You're not going to be able to be perfect. And right where you're at, in the midst of all your mess, Jesus Christ's blood was shed to save you from yourselves to become a child of God again. That is why God did it. So if God is laying out saying that I want you to be saved so you can bring glory to me, he's saying I love you and I want to bring you back into myself. Why would God be any different? He wants his greatest creation, his children, to be with him. But I, I need to say this, and, 
and it's in the passage as we are rounding the corner to end up our time today. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, folks. I can't tell you when I was a youth pastor, and even as a pastor, the number of times I'll say, well, you know, somebody will say, well, I'm not as close to God as I, I should be, and uh, I need to do some things to get closer to God. So I will just open-endedly ask him, what, do you, what steps do you think you need to take to become closer to God? Nine times out of ten, read my Bible more and go to church more. Those are good things. I Don't get me wrong. Look, I'd be all about saying, y'all need to be in church more. But I want you to understand those answers. Both of those answers were based upon what you can do to do better. Maybe the best thing that you can do is just stop trying to do things in your own strength and just let God minister to you. Because if your heart is right, your body will follow. Many of you are in here today because your heart is right and God has led you to a place to hear about him, to hear his word preached, and to see other believers that you can be encouraged by and that you can encourage one another. But my friends, if you think your salvation is based on the fact if you do four days of quiet time a week instead of two, or that you go to church twice a month and that's a favor to God, neither one of those things make a hill of beans. If your heart is not with Jesus Christ. You're not good enough in your own strength to gain salvation. Stop trying to run your life on your own part, apart from God. Let me ask you something. If you're trying to live your life in your own strength, how's it working out for you? I know in my life, especially when I was... When I was not saved and I tried to run my life on my own, I ran it into the ditch. That's the whole reason I knew I needed Jesus. But then after I accepted Jesus, there are times where I don't say, Jesus, take the wheel. I say, Jesus, move over and let me drive. And sure enough, there are times where I end up in the ditch again. And God kind of says, James, are you done? <laughs> are you ready for me to, to take over? But yes, God, come on. I'm sorry. It's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done for you. So know this this morning. God loves you. And He wants you to give your exhausted heart to Him. Whether it be the first time or the next time. You are God's masterpiece. So if you walked in here today feeling low, unworthy, Beat up, defeated, bored, or broken. God loves you, and you are his masterpiece. Whether you're a teenager or one foot in the grave, God loves you. And I'll conclude with this. Life does not just happen. God has a plan. I don't know why, but for some reason, God had all of us in this building here today for this purpose. My question is, what purpose do you think that is? It's time for you, believer, to come alive. Quit living under your circumstances and live within the status that you have as a child of God. Realize the power that God gives and uses in our lives. We do that to glorify Him. And your family 
and in the church, in the workplace, in the community. Any of y'all ever walked through a graveyard? Raise your hand if you ever walked through a graveyard. Oh yeah, everybody. Everybody's been through a graveyard. There are some people in here that if you're thinking of something to do on Saturday, you actually say, I think I'm going to go walk through a graveyard. I have people say, do you remember where so-and-so was buried? I'm like, mm, somewhere over in there. There'll be times where I've done funeral service and some of y'all will say, let's look over here for something. And before I know it, 20 minutes later, we're walking through the graves. I talked with some of y'all before, and that's what you do. You, you like walking through the graves and seeing who's where and all that kind of stuff. Hey, that's awesome. I'm not making fun of anybody doing that. I think it's refreshing to walk through a graveyard, number one, and see that you're not there. That's good. And the second thing is you can see history and generations of people that have gone before us. But my friends, let me take a little different interpretation of that. When you became a Christian, when you gave Jesus Christ your life, and you said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, come into my life, and help me to live for you. That dead person, the Bible calls you, you are a new creature. The old person, the old James, was left in the ground. The new James rose up, the spiritual James. Just like when we right back here, that's a symbol. When you put them under the water, that they were dead in their sins. And when you raise them up, it shows that they are a new creature in life. And here's the thing, in a spiritual sense... There are many Christians that have gotten up out of the grave, but they're still walking in the graveyard. They're still surrounded by dead things. They're still making bad choices and living like a sinful person would. When what Paul is telling us here is that you are not a victim to death. You have beat death because of Jesus Christ. So quit walking in the graveyard among dead things and live in the power that I have given you. Jesus Christ has worked in you and through you that you may come alive. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, may we know the power of your resurrection. May our lives reflect the purpose and the peace that your power gives. And may you give to us so that we can give to others out of the overflow of what you have given us so that we may live out the life that you have planned before us. Lord, for our invitation today, it's going to be this simple. If there is somebody here today that is not sure of their relationship status with you, they're not sure if they were to die today, they would spend eternity with you. If they, they feel like that they are still stuck in dead things, Lord, I'm not going to leave until every person is gone. I will hang around and we will talk and we will pray. If you have questions, come see me. And there are many in here today that probably have resonated with even what I've resonated with is that we need to remember the power that you've given us in our decision to follow you. Help us not to live under our circumstances, but above them in your power, Lord. If there is a Christian here today that needs encouragement or prayer, may you do that, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.